Father, we thank you for the gift that you have given each of us this Christmas. Uh, the greatest gift we ever could have hoped for. The greatest gift we will ever receive. The very gift of your Son. Would you expand our hearts to receive this morning from the word that you have sent us through him? Would you help us to see that he was worth the wait? Uh, the priest sent to cleanse us and the king sent to rule over us. All that we need in the one that is the son. Help us now to lift our eyes to see him high and lifted up. We pray in his mighty name. Amen. Back in 2015 in Smithstown, New York, a moment that was long waiting, waited for finally came. At the town hall, there was a time capsule that had been buried. For 50 years, it had laid under the ground, and so a big celebration was set for the moment when it was dug up and opened up before a watching and waiting audience. Only what came out was a great disappointment. A town historian was there. He said when they cracked it open, they didn't find anything interesting at all. Man's top hat, woman's gloves, uh, but most notably, a horrible stench. Uh, water had seeped in and everything had rotted, and it was so bad, the historian remarked, in all my time as a historian, I have smelled history, and I can tell you it smelled nothing like that. Uh, nothing worse than... A disappointment so bad it leaves a stench in your nostrils, huh? But Christmas time, thankfully, is not like that. It leaves us instead with the sweet aroma of thanksgiving and praise. Uh, because Christmas is about remembering the coming of one long waited for down through the centuries by God's people. Uh, one who was the great prophet that spoke to us. And as we'll see this morning, the great priest that cleansed us and the great king to rule over us, the one we know as Jesus Christ. Uh, last week we saw how Jesus was the final word from God to his people. This morning we look at his two remaining offices, uh, the way he fulfills the office of priest and king, and in so doing proves that he is the one worth waiting for. Uh, this morning we'll go through these verses and see these two roles that Jesus fulfills. And we'll actually do it in three sections. This will be the layout for the sermon this morning. First, we'll see that Jesus is the perfect priest. Jesus is the perfect priest. Second, we'll see Jesus is the rightful king. Jesus is the rightful king. And then third, we'll see Jesus is the sitting son. Jesus is the sitting son. And in all of this, you will, I hope, be convinced that Jesus is the priest that cleansed you and the king that rules over you. And that means he was worth the wait. Uh, let's begin with that first thought. Jesus is the perfect priest. There's a little phrase tucked into these verses that we didn't read last week. I'll read again uh, verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purification for sins. There's a lot tucked into that little phrase. 
uh, Jesus did something to purify God's people. That immediately gets us to the idea of the priesthood. Now the book of Hebrews spends about five chapters teasing out how Jesus cleansed us from our sins and all the implications of what that means. Uh, but this morning we're just going to hit the highlights. I've distilled it down to three things. Three things to show us Jesus is the perfect priest that cleansed us. Uh, first is that he is fit to serve as priest. I might be wondering why I would start there. Why would you even question whether Jesus was fit to serve? Well, it's because I've already told you that Jesus is not just a priest, but also a king. Uh, back in Israel, you could not occupy both offices simultaneously. Uh, Israel's first king, Saul, uh, tried to do so. Uh, back before a battle, he didn't want to wait for the priests to show up and make the sacrifices to make sure that Yahweh was on their side. So Saul went ahead and presumptively played the role of the priest. He offered the sacrifices. And as a result, when the prophet Samuel arrived, Saul learned that that mistake would cost him his kingdom one day. Uh, you could be a king in the line of David, or you could be a priest of the line of Aaron, but you could not be both. So how in the world can Jesus serve as both our priest and our king? Well, Hebrews has an answer for us. Uh, he is of a different line than all the other Levitical priests, the sons of Aaron that came down through the generations. Uh, Jesus is a priest of the line of a guy named Melchizedek. Uh, back in uh, Hebrews chapter 5. For a second, just flip over there in your Bible. Hebrews chapter 5, uh, verses 9 through 10. We're told of his fitness. Hebrews 5 and verse 9. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, who in the world is Melchizedek? If you don't remember that name, um, don't feel bad. He's only featured in one narrative part of the Bible. That's back in Genesis 14. It's way, way back. Uh, back when uh, Abram had not even been renamed to Abraham yet. Uh, his cousin Lot had gotten into a lot of trouble. And so Abram came and rescued him, and the others had been taken captive by some wicked kings. And after they'd won the battle, this mysterious figure, Melchizedek, appears. Uh, we're told he's king of a place called Salem. Sounds a lot like Jerusalem. Uh, we're also told that he is a priest of the Most High God. Now that's odd for several reasons. Uh, remember the period in which we're talking about, Father Abraham, that's before Aaron and the tabernacle and the Levitical priests. And yet some random guy in some random place called Salem is truly a priest to God. Uh, moreover, he demonstrates he is a true priest by blessing Abraham and receiving an offering from him. Abraham gives him a tenth of the spoils. As strange as all that is, it's even more strange that immediately after that occurs, Melchizedek disappears. We don't know where he came from or where he went. He just showed up for that one story. Uh, but that doesn't, uh, even though we don't have any more information about him from that story, 
the rest of scripture teases out, and a good study for you to do later through Psalm 110, that Melchizedek is really a figure to prepare the way for the one coming Jesus, the greater priest that would finally cleanse us for our sins. Oh, Melchizedek shows us that someone can be both a priest and a king. The one need not be of the tribe of Levi, a descendant of Aaron. That it's possible for a son of David to serve as priest. Uh, Jesus is different from all the other priests that came before him. That served in the tabernacle and the temple. Uh, he has a, a different lineage. And he is a priest of an entirely different order. The order of Melchizedek. So he is fit to serve. That's the first thing you need to know about Jesus as priesthood. The second thing, he is forever a priest. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had this experience. Uh, the frustration of having someone highly skilled that you go to regularly suddenly become unavailable to you. I had a, um, a mechanic back in Florida that I really, really uh, relied a lot on. Uh, cars are so complex these days that um, even if you're handy, it's hard to do nearly as much on them as you could before, previous generations when they were simpler. Uh, as a result, you rely more and more on people with the technical know-how and expertise. Uh, that puts you in a vulnerable position, though. You know this, right? When you take your expensive car to the mechanic, uh, he tells you what's wrong with the car, and then he tells you how much it's going to cost, and then he tells you whether it's fixed or not. That's three links in the chain where you have to trust him. Three links in the chain where if he's not honest, he can inject something that worked for his benefit. So when you find a good mechanic like I did back in Florida, well, you hold on to him for all you're worth. Which makes it all the more sad when one day your mechanic comes to you like happened to me and tells you that he's closing up shop. Sorry. You have to go find someone else to work on your car. Well, back in Israel's days, there was a, a similar dynamic that went on. Uh, the people were utterly dependent on the men that were set aside to be their mediators in the temple. Uh, you see, you were incapable of fulfilling all of your obligations before the Lord on your own. Uh, you could know the law inside and out. You could be careful to avoid all the sins that you knew about. And yet, at some point, you would be required to go to the temple and to bring and offer sacrifices to Yahweh. And unless you were a Levitical priest, you were incapable of doing that for yourself. Instead, you had to rely on someone else to take those offerings, to go behind the partitions in the temple and offer them up to God on your behalf. Which means you were in a very vulnerable position. If you got a priest that was less than honest, he might take your offering behind the partition. He might, for a time, appear to be doing something, come back out and tell you all is right between you and God. All the while, he's stolen the sacrifice for himself. You would be none the wiser, and yet you would be the one that would suffer as a result. Uh, even worse, even if you did find yourself a priest who did everything right, who you knew would mediate for you before God faithfully, his ministry, you could never last forever. Uh, sooner or later, he would get old and die. 
Either you or your descendants would be at the mercy of another priest one day, which meant you were perpetually wondering, is someone faithful going to mediate for me? Ah, but friends, the good news is that Jesus is different than all the other priests that came before him. Because Jesus is a mediator that serves forever. Uh, read with me Hebrews chapter 7, verses 24 and 25. Hebrews 7, 24 and 25. But he, that is Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Uh, you never have to worry about Jesus retiring or getting old and dying and being unable to mediate between you and God. Uh, because that's because Jesus has already died. He already went to the grave, done that, got the t-shirt, and came back to talk about it. Uh, he's been raised to now an indestructible life. So he can serve as a forever priest. Uh, always there to offer prayers on your behalf. Uh, always there to ensure an open way for you to the very throne room of heaven. None of the other priests that came before him could ever do that. But Jesus is different. He is a forever priest. Third, final reason why he is the perfect priest that we have been waiting for is that he himself was the final sacrifice. Uh, he was the final sacrifice. Uh, woven into that sacrificial system was something that always left God's people less than perfectly satisfied. Uh, that was not a mistake. Uh, God never makes mistakes. And he gave careful instructions and built in a sense of incompletion from the very beginning. Uh, no matter how often you did your duty, traveled to the temple, brought the sacrifice, had a priest offer it up on your behalf, uh, whether that was the occasional sacrifices that you would make or the Day of Atonement when everyone was required to come simultaneously, no matter how many times you did it, there would always be another sacrifice to be made. Uh, the sins of the people were never fully eradicated. They were just for a time cleansed. Uh, but there would always be another occasion where a priest would be needed, uh, where blood must be shed, where the things in the temple must be purified and when their consciences uh, would need to be cleansed. In all of this, there was a built-in reminder that God's people needed a priest to come and cleanse them once and for all which is why it's such a good thing that Jesus is our perfect priest. Because Jesus isn't like the sacrifices that came before him. Uh, Jesus was a once for all sacrifice. His own life given for sinners once for all time. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 25 through 26. Hebrews 9, 25 through 26. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with the blood and not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, 
He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus offered a sacrifice far better than all the bulls and goats that you could possibly offer. Uh, A sacrifice of such value because it was utterly spotless and blameless in every way. A perfect life. His life of obedience offered up on the altar of God in the place of sinners. A sacrifice to once and for all pay the penalty for sins and put away our guilt before God. Uh, If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, uh, please understand this is the gift of Christmas that you need to receive most of all. It's really the heart of what Christianity is. The sacrifice of Jesus to save sinners from their sins. Uh, The Bible tells us that all of humankind has had a problem since since the very beginning Since the very first humans, we have been guilty sinners before the God who made us. We have deserved punishment for rebelling against his rules. And there's no amount of good works we could ever do to tip the balance into our favor. Uh, Instead, God had to do something we're incapable of doing. Sending his own son, Jesus, to give his life as a perfect sacrifice. On Christmas, we celebrate Jesus coming into the world, being born as a baby in a manger. Uh, But the good news isn't just that that baby was born, but that he would grow into a man that would one day hang on a cross and die willingly in the place of rebels deserving God's punishment. Uh, That's good news because Jesus accomplished his mission. His sacrifice of his life was sufficient to cover your sins and my sins and the sins of anyone that will come to God through him. Uh, Friend, no matter what type of life you've lived up until now, what manner of sins you have committed, how heavy the weight of uh, guilt might be upon your conscience, know this, uh, the blood of Jesus can wipe all of that away and make you perfectly pure in your soul before God. Uh, All you have to do is receive the gift. It's to trust Jesus by faith, to turn from your sins and turn to him and receive his life forever to be God's gift to you. Friend, if you don't know how to receive that gift, uh, I just invite you, find a Christian friend. They would love to explain to you how you can have the gift of Jesus this Christmas. Uh, Jesus is our perfect priest. Uh, So much better than all the priests that came before him that they're just shadows of him. But he's also something else. He is our rightful king. That's the second thing we see this morning. Jesus is the rightful king. In verse 2, we looked at it last week, but there was something that we didn't cover. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Uh, Sons in the Bible are very, very significant. That's not just because God loves baby boys. Uh, It's because sonship carried with it both the resources and the responsibility of the family. Uh, The son is the one who would one day inherit all the resources, the land and the money. He would also inherit the responsibility 
of carrying forward the family name and caring for the family. Uh, that's why the king of Israel often was called the son. He was the one who inherited the resources and responsibility of the nation. And yet, even from early on in Israel's history, there was an expectation that the son would inherit more than just the nation. He would inherit the nations. Psalm 2, 7 and 8, a psalm about the king of Israel, a psalm that's also about the king to come, the rightful king Jesus, says this in those two verses. I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Uh, there was a, this expectation that one day the Davidic king would inherit more than the borders of Israel. He would inherit the very nations of the world. Only king after king fell short of that prophecy. Uh, king David, Israel's first good king, he certainly expanded the borders uh, he won victories over the Philistines and the Amalekites. And for a time, it looked like maybe God's promise would come through him, but then he fell into sin. Then his reign ended in death. Uh, maybe his son Saul, uh, Solomon would do better. It certainly started well. Uh, he didn't rule with the sword, but with the royal decree. Uh, he, he was an expert in politics and commerce. And through him, the borders of Israel expanded. Even the wealth of the nation started to be brought from the far countries to Israel. It looked like for a time, perhaps the nations would be his inheritance. But, but then he fell into sin. And just like his father David, he died as well. After that came a parade of kings some good, some bad, all falling from the same tree with the same rottenness in them. Time after time, God's people got rulers that did not live up to their expectations and certainly didn't live up to this prophecy until the end of the monarchy in Israel, until they didn't inherit the nations but even lost their own nation when carried off into exile. But Jesus is different than all the kings that came before him. Uh, Jesus never sins. And Jesus inherits not just the nation of Israel, not just the nations of this world, but he is the heir of all things. Uh, Jesus, we are told, will inherit everything that is. He's qualified for that for a reason. Because he's the one who made it in the first place. He is the one through whom also God created the world. All that is, is as it is because one day it would belong to Jesus. No other king of Israel could ever claim a title like that as creator God. Uh, but there's a, another qualification that Jesus has that shows that he is right to rule uh, as the king of God's people and of all that is. It comes down in verse 4. It's a little hidden there, but take, take a moment for me to show it to you. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So there's a, a long argument in Hebrews about how Jesus is 
uh, is greater than the angels. It runs all the way through the next chapter. We don't have time to unpack all of it. Uh, but we do, what we should notice here is that Jesus is being, we're told that Jesus has uh, inherited something, a name, that is higher than even the angels itself. Uh, think about Jesus' life. It had a trajectory to it. It started off going from high to low. Uh, he was the son in heaven who humbled himself to become one of us. In the incarnation, he took on the lowly, weak, frail flesh of humanity. Uh, he humbled himself even more after that. He allowed himself to uh, be rejected and scorned and even to suffer and die at the hands of his enemies. In all of that, he was doing something. He was obeying his father. He did that even to the point of death on the cross. Uh, that was a turning point in Jesus' life. Because from the grave, God lifted him up. Uh, lifted him up from the grave to a new life. But lifted him up after that even higher. Higher than any king that came before Jesus. Higher even than the angels in heaven. God raised him up to an exalted place at his right side and gave him a name above every name, the name of Jesus, the exalted son, the one who is fit to rule over all. You see, this was a, a, a place of authority Jesus did not have before, even as the eternal son. This was something he accomplished through his obedience and it was then bestowed upon him by his father for his faithfulness. Uh, Jesus, the exalted son, who is heir of the world, given the right to rule and reign. Brothers and sisters, is there anyone that could take this place but Jesus? Uh, no king that came before him could ever live up to this. Uh, no politician that lives today could ever hold a candle to him. He is lifted up higher than everyone that ever is. And he will inherit all that is. Because he is the rightful king. Uh, but there's one more step we need to see. Or one more action, that is, that Jesus took. This is our third and final point. Which will get us this to our take-home section for you and I this morning. Uh, Jesus is the sitting son. Jesus is the sitting son. Uh, the author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus did something after he finished his work of purifying for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Uh, Jesus is sitting down. is highly significant. It is an act both of completion and of coronation. Uh, the priests... They worked in a temple and a tabernacle that was very specifically furnished by God. Things were as they were for a very good reason. Uh, for all the amazing furnishings and glittering gold in the temple, there was one thing that was conspicuously missing. A place to sit down. Uh, the priests never sat. Because the priests' work was never over. There were always more sins to be atoned for. Always more prayers to be offered. Always more incense to be burned. So the, the priests had to keep standing. Uh, but when the one known as Jesus came, when he declared it is finished on the cross, he completed his work of atonement. And with nothing left to do, 
Jesus sat down. His sitting is a sign that his work of atoning for sins, purifying our souls, and mediating between us and God is complete. Now, brothers and sisters, this is good news for each of us here this morning. Uh, We have no need to find atonement or purification from sins anywhere in this world or even in our own hearts because we have our seated high priest, Jesus himself. Uh, Sometimes people live with guilt for decades and they tell themselves, I need to learn to forgive myself. Uh, Friend, it may be true that you might have overly harsh thoughts about yourself, but we need to know more than anything is that you have a high priest in heaven that seated and completed his work to cleanse your soul of its stain and forgive you of your sins. You are forgiven by God, friend. Your sins have been paid for in the precious blood of Jesus. That's the reason why your conscience can be clear, even more so than you finding forgiveness for yourself. Uh, Sometimes we live with this sense that we need to somehow pay penance for the wrong things we've done. We need to suffer a bit. Uh, Maybe we need to do a set of good works that are difficult and cost us something. Or maybe we need to hold back from enjoying certain parts of life because of the sins we've committed. But friends, there's no room for any sort of penance project in the heart of a Christian. Because you have a seated priest in the very presence of God. He has completed all the work of atonement you will ever need, which means there's no payment needed for your sins ever again. Brothers and sisters, when Jesus sat down, when he completed his work of atonement, it was not lost on him. The sins that you would commit, even this last week that passed or the week coming up ahead. Uh, Jesus knew each and every sin for each and every one of his saints. He lovingly and willingly, by his grace, bore those sins on the cross. And when he sat down, he completed the work to wipe away the stain of those sins in our souls and in the courts of heaven. So my dear brothers and sisters, this Christmas, don't suffer for your sins yourself. Don't try and find some way to feel like you've worked them off through spiritual discipline. Now bring your sins to Jesus. Find the gift of a clear conscience, sprinkled clean in his blood. Remembering if he is the perfect priest that offered that once for all sacrifice, then you are truly freed from the penalty for your sins forever. His sitting down was an act of completion. It was also something else. It was an act of coronation. Uh, Where did Jesus sit down? Was there just a random chair up in heaven? Uh, No, he sat down at the right hand of his father. Uh, In the ancient world, the right hand of the king was a special place of honor and authority. Uh, Jesus sat down on a throne that is his own. He sat, sat as an act of ruling and reigning as the one who had proved himself obedient and who will inherit all things. Now this Christmas, my dear brothers and sisters, would you receive the gift of knowing 
that you have a king that is seated on the throne of heaven. Uh, I know as you uh, get closer to the twilight years of life, your thoughts oftentimes start going to what is going to come, become of this world. Very common thought for people to start thinking. Oh, what sort of world will my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids inherit? Uh, maybe you watch the headlines, you read the, uh, try to read the direction things are going, and you find yourself despairing. Uh, things like, seems like things are getting worse, like the world is spinning out of control, and, and I don't have enough years left to fix it. My dear brothers and sisters, would you remember as much as you love your kids and your grandkids and even as much as you love this world, that there is one who loves it far more, uh, one who is the rightful inheritor of it, the one who will one day fully rule and reign over it, the one king that rules over us all, Jesus. Uh, Jesus is already ruling and reigning. And he is perfectly capable of making a beautiful end out of this hot mess that is the world that we live in. So do you trust him for the way the world is? And the way the world will one day be, even after you and I are long gone? Trust the one who has the right to rule and reign over all of us. And even this world, trust Jesus. We also need to remind ourselves, if Jesus is seated... In, on his throne in heaven, then no one else should be enthroned in the very place of prominence in our own hearts above him. Uh, I hope this Christmas time as you gather with loved ones and you see those that you long for year round, I, I hope your heart is filled. I hope you feel joyful. Uh, yet, yet let's not put people in a place that they are incapable of being worthy of in our hearts. Uh, no one, no matter how much we love them, is capable of sitting on the throne reserved for Jesus. Uh, everyone else in our lives is actually better loved when Jesus is our first love and when we love them out of an overflow of what we've received in him. Uh, don't make your grandkids into an idol. Don't make your spouse into the one you worship. Uh, don't put on your uncle or your father or anyone in your family that you look up to, the expectations of the leader that you need. Realize that only Jesus, only he and he alone has right to rule on the throne of heaven and only he has the right to rule in our hearts this Christmas. Obey this command, but do it knowing it will bring you joy. Lift up Jesus this Christmas. And give him the place only he is fit to occupy. The place as ruler of your heart. He is the king of heaven. The heir of all things. The one who has been lifted up above men and angels. And will rule and reign this world and the one to come forever. So this Christmas, remind yourself who Jesus is. But most of all, remind yourself that he was worth the wait. He is the prophet that reveals God, the priest that cleanses us before God, and the king that rules and reigns over the people of God. He is the one God's people have been waiting for, and brothers and sisters, by the grace of God, he has come 
So remind yourself he was worth the wait. And that means he is worth your worship. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song with some lyrics I want to point your attention to. Uh, Think about these words and connect them to this reality. Jesus is the one we were waiting for and he was worth the wait. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul found its worth. Praise be to God, Jesus has come. And he was worth waiting for. Let's pray. Jesus, we now exalt you. We lift you up to the place that only you are deserving of. The place of prominence in our own hearts. The place that is a reflection of your exalted seat at the very right hand of your Father in heaven. Uh, Jesus, we thank you for being obedient to the point of death so that you could cleanse us as our great high priest once and for all. Uh, We thank you for your perfect life that gave you the right to rise to the throne, the forever seat of your your forefather David, and uh, that you now have the right to rule and reign over us. And, And now, Jesus, we worship you as the baby that was born, so that our joy could be full forever. Uh, Jesus, as we sing this, would you help our hearts to long for you and to remember you were worth the wait. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen.